And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And we welcome you in to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Lots of things going on. As we've talked about, this is like the busiest offseason in the history of college football. And we've had some tremendous guests to talk about that. And our next guest is, is right along those lines. You know her. Uh, from ESPN.com. You see her all over uh, ESPN in general, Paul Feinbaum and everywhere else trying to keep tabs on all these stories. Her name is Heather Dinich, and she joins us now from, uh, where are you in? Are you still in Maryland? Where where are you, Heather? Yeah, I'm in uh, the sweltering, humid state of Maryland right now. Um, okay. But yeah, just outside of Annapolis. Ah, very good. So I, I love Annapolis. I, I visited there a couple of years ago, did the tour of the, the Navy campus, which is phenomenal. Um, did a, uh, I think the actual boat that's in Wedding Crashers, you could get on that boat and do like a little sunset cruise or whatever. So oh, very see, nice. I got to yeah. check that out. I didn't know oh, about that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you get ready. I didn't know when I signed up for it, but as you're in line, waiting for them to take your ticket there's the picture of the boat and i'm like well that's a little it's like have a guy that just bought a sports car and he hangs around his sports car with a big picture of his sports car to let you know <laughs> it's his sports car it's a, it's a little bit uh narcissistic but but they showed the picture and then i'm like what is this about you start reading it this boat was featured in this movie that movie including wedding crashers so wow. yeah pretty uh pretty cool scope but annapolis is extremely underrated I've done some Navy football games, but when they're playing on the road, I've not done one there. Mm. Uh, but uh, the, gosh, the campus is just, it's, it's gorgeous. So I don't blame you for, for not moving. Um, again, thank you so much for carving out the time. I know it's a busy time. And before we got in, before we get into those two major subjects of NIL and, and the uh, 12 team playoff, but we always do this with our guests because um, sometimes I think people assume that we know everything about you, but we don't. I, I saw you once in person at a, uh, I think it was an ACC football game and you were pounding away a story and I didn't want to introduce myself and bother you. So I don't know if we've ever met formally, but uh, between the three of us, we've covered a lot of the same events. Uh, how did you get you start your start? I know you went to IU. I know uh, for a while there, it seemed like you were on the ACC beat of sorts and, and then you've just kind of, blown up to where you are today. So give us a little bit of the path of Heather Denich. Well, the reason I'm in Annapolis is because I was a two-year intern at the Washington Post, and I used to cover high school sports in this county, and they had a, a bureau located in Church Circle right in downtown Annapolis. And so that was my first job out of college. And then eventually um, went to the Baltimore Sun to cover the Terps, basketball and football. And nice. while, I, while I was doing that, um, ESPN started its blog network and the rest is history. And right. they, you know, they started um, a blogger for each of the power five conferences and I uh, was hired to do the ACC blog. And eventually um, actually it was a, it was when Florida state was in the national championship. I had a talk with my editor at the time, David Duffy and said, I, I love my job. This is great, but is there anything else I can do? And he thought about it and he said, well, you know, there's this thing called the college football playoff coming up and uh, how would you like to cover it? And nobody knew what that meant. You know, what, what exactly does that mean being a beat writer for the college football playoff? And it just sort of, um, it sort of evolved and, and led to more TV opportunities. And um, it's been, 
a fascinating ride ever since. I'm, I'm glad he gave me the shot to do it because it's been great being more of a, a national college, college football rider. Now, would it be incorrect for me to assume you, you go to IU? So, I mean, college basketball has to be pretty high on your list of interests. And here you are now, uh, and it's all about football, or at least most of it is. Was that much of a transition for you? Uh, no, I, I've always loved college football. I don't, I don't know why. Um, the whole history with IU is, is a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> I, I was there. I was there when Bob Knight got fired. I mean, it's literally, it's literally a whole other thing. Like I helped out ESPN with the 30 for 30 and it just, it pains me because there are so many college students I talked to today who have no idea what happened. And I'm like, Oh my God, you guys don't know who Bob Knight is. Are you kidding me? Um, so it's, uh, yeah, college football is, is a thing. I wanted to do it so bad. And so after the internship at the Washington Post, I was like, whatever I can do to cover college football. And so the one place I got hired, this was before the sun, was the Center Daily Times in State College. And I was like, I get to cover Penn State football. I'm going to a bowl game. This is great, right? Worst season in school history. They were <laughs> three and nine, and then they went like four and seven. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So I got married in December because Penn State wasn't going to a bowl game, and my anniversary has been wrecked for the past week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bummer. That's fantastic. And, you know, I'm sure early on you realized, even as someone, I don't think anything can prepare you for college football fans. Like, we all grew up college football fans in one respect or another. Um, but the deeper you go in this business, you realize – the, the passion, sometimes, quite frankly, the paranoia uh, of, of college football fans, it's, it's like no other. And, and, and so when you get to that stage where you are now at a national level and you're covering this, and so I can only imagine as you report on one story after the next and you look in your, I don't know, your Twitter inbox or your email inbox, just the amount of things that you get. Is there anything, if you were giving advice to like a young reporter trying to get in this business, anything that can prepare you for all that? Turn off your notifications. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you have to remember that the college football fans are the ones that keep us in business. And mm -hmm. they're the ones that make the sport unique as well. Um, and, and that's why I, I love it. And I think that's what separates it from the NFL is because you went to school there. You lived there for like four years, right? That was your home. And so there's a separate to a separate allegiance to it, as opposed to, Oh, I'm from, I'm from Pittsburgh. I like the Steelers and I, I do, I love them, but it's different than where you spent your college career and maybe the traditions and cultures that on that particular campus. Are you, are you happy that the, the way the business has gone, I think Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon were two of the kind of uh, leaders in this where it, there was a time print was print. TV was TV, you know, electronic versus print. You didn't you didn't cross over. And now uh, if you're a Heather Dinich and you're one of the top people covering college football in print, that means you're going to have a lot of FaceTime on the ESPN platforms. Is that something you wanted to do or you just kind of realize, hey, it comes with the job and I'm, I'm going to acclimate myself to it? Uh, I was specifically a print journalism major, and there was a time when I drove up to Chicago when I was in college for uh, to interview for an inter a broadcast internship at Fox Sports Chicago. I had no idea what I was doing, 
And I was like, wait, broadcast internships don't pay. How am I going to live in Chicago? You know, like, and, and that kind of solidified the path that I took as far as I'm going to stick with print and that's what I'm going to do. But when I was at the Baltimore sun, they handed me a camera and said, you have to, you go get video for Ralph region for the blog. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, first of all, what's his good side? <laughs> oh boy. Wow. Good luck with that. Yeah. So, you know, you have to, at that point, I learned you have to adapt and you have to do everything, right? Because it's it's a blog, tracking the terps, you have to add video to it, oh, we're doing a Q&A, and there's just so many other things. And then, you know, with the, with the job covering the playoff, adding the TV element was a whole other learning curve because as a print major, I was not taught that. I took zero classes on broadcast journalism, right? And then all of a sudden I'm standing on Sports Center stage in Bristol with Linda Cohn and I'm about ready to throw up because I grew up <laughs> watching her, right? And right. I was I was a wreck, you know? Um but with just like being a quarterback, with reps comes confidence, right? And the more you do it, um, the more comfortable you become with it. And mm-hmm. I still get very nervous being on live TV, but at the same time, it's been a couple of years now, so there's just a better understanding of what's expected and how to do it. Well, you, you don't need to hear this from me, but I, I would say uh, one of the biggest compliments you can give to someone on TV is you don't sense any of that nervousness. And, and I've never sensed that watching you. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's been a really smooth transition for you. So kudos you. on that. Absolutely. All right. We, we don't normally uh, turn this into a game show format, but I'm going to do a, a Monty Hall, let's make a deal, kind of an antiquated reference. But um, door number one, door number two, door number one is NIL door. Number two is the 12 team playoff. Um, you've been knee deep in both of these and probably will continue to be, uh, which one do you want to tackle first? Let's go to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. All right. 12 team playoff. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I was on a show, uh, this must've been about six months ago and they came at me with, you know, Mike, there's a lot of talk about a 12 team playoff. And my first reaction was, yeah, not going to happen. Like we're, we're not going to go from four to 12, four to eight. I could see four to six. I could see. And I'm like, but th- everything in college football moves at a glacial pace. Like I- I- I'm ready for the 18 playoff talk. Let's, let's do it. But I'm not, I don't think we're going to go to 12. I had no idea, nor did most people know that you had Greg Sankey and Swarbick and, couple other folks talking about this kind of in secret for two years and coming up with this. So my question to you first off is when did you first hear that 12 was a realistic number and what was your reaction to that? Uh, that's a good question. I feel like it was, gosh, well, I booked my flight to Chicago probably a month before the meetings were set. Um, so somewhere before then there were some rumblings of 12. Um, I was surprised because there had been so much talk and, you know, maybe just public in the court of public opinion, right. About eight and automatic qualifiers and things like that. I, I was surprised they gave so much credence and thought to 12, but when it was presented and the way it was presented, I thought it made perfect sense after you have, time to digest it. And I talked to SEC commissioner Greg Sankey about this a lot in that, you know, if you do have automatic qualifiers, they take up five spots right away. 
And then you don't want to expand without including a group of five conference champion, right? So there's your six. And then so what? So you have two more spots? For who? <laughs> you know, yeah. people, are, people are still mad, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, you have the possibility of, of an upset in those conference championship games. So they felt like this was a happy medium for more participation. You do reward conference champions, but you also account for that upset or a number 25 Oregon in your rankings, right? So I, I think that they gave a lot of thought to it. And you know, they weren't pouring over this for two years. I remember in San Jose, Mark Keenum, the Mississippi state president came out. There were a couple of reporters there because it had expansion talk at that time. I think it was 2019 had generated some buzz. So everybody was over at the hotel where the commissioners met with the presidents and Keenum came out and he kind of tampered the expectations and said, look, where we've tasked them to go evaluate the college football playoff. He didn't say we've created a working group with four people. Here they are. And this is what they're going to do. Right. He just said, we're going to look at all aspects of the playoff. And I do believe that they started looking at it very closely but the pandemic then derailed it, right? It put it on the back burner. Those commissioners were focused every day trying to just play sports, trying to do testing and all those things. I mean, I don't think people understand the grind that um, everybody went through just trying to get a college football season to happen. So, you know, to be able to meet in person in Chicago for the first time and talk about it. I remember January, Swarbrick told me this is not a Zoom conversation, so the next time we can sit down together, that's when we're really going to take a deep dive. And that's exactly what happened. So there were, there were bits and pieces and clues, but long answer to yeah, 12 was surprising. But I knew that these conversations were constantly happening. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, uh, I, I feel like I know Greg Swank, Sankey fairly well. Um, interviewed him multiple times just in the course of doing games. Talked to him multiple times just meeting him um he is kind of emerged as dare i say the godfather of college football um people talk about the five families i think his spot in the pecking order of the five families might be a little bit higher than the others and that that star only rose more during his handling of the pandemic by the same token he's also a great poker player and i I know a lot of people thought Greg Sankey was of the opinion that four was just fine. I mean, he was working for the SEC, right? You know that the SEC champion's going to get in there 99% of the time. And in some cases, you're going to have two out of the four, 50% of the field. What's not to like if you're the Southeastern Conference? So I think for a lot of people, it's not a surprise that the Pac-12 would want it because gosh knows they need to expand this thing to get in it. Uh, The Big 12 and Bob Bowlesby, the Big 10 – I think a lot of people were surprised to see Greg Sankey sign off public approval of, hey, 12 is a good idea. And my, I can only guess, <clears throat> you've spoken to him about it, we haven't, but I can only guess the, the data would show that with a 12-team playoff, more often than not, the SEC is getting three or four teams in. So from that standpoint, it could also be a major win for the SEC. Yes. And I mean, I can tell you almost word for word, repeatedly, Greg Sankey said for has worked, for is working, for continue to work. Exactly. (laughs) Repeatedly. To the point where I was like, are you ever going to say something else when I ask you this question? (laughs) No. Um, So I was, I was surprised. Um, 
that he was on it. But like you said, it makes sense because they can have more teams in it and they will have more teams in it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about teams that are able to get in it this year, maybe surprise and, you know, Texas A&M is hanging around they can have a shot there. There are just, it goes deeper than Alabama and Georgia for sure. Um, but I, I do think that, it, it will also give the group of five more of a shot. I mean, we're always going to be talking about the same teams, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma. We're always going to be talking about them. Um, that's college football. But what this does is it guarantees, guarantees a group of five champion, a seat at the table because it's the six best conference champions. Right. And that's not in this current system. And in this proposal for 12 teams, you don't even hear a group of five power five. And for that language to be removed, uh, that's a win for the quote group of five commissioners because they just want to hear FBS. That's all they want to hear is FBS, the 10 FBS conferences. So you give Cincinnati a shot at the thing. I mean, I'll tell you as a college football fan, Cincinnati, Georgia was one of the bowl games I looked forward to the most. Cause I just wanted to see, can they do it? Can they really do it? It's also the best uh, game. It was, it was a great game. And if, if they would have had their full contingent and their quarterback would have played better. And if, 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 if right, you know, um, they, they could have done it, but I think it was also a perfect example. And fickle told me this, he's like, they were the, they were better than us up front. And that's going to be a continual challenge because of the recruiting discrepancies in some of these programs. Right. But yeah, so it is going to let more sec teams in, but I think the most important thing is that it's going to give the guys a shot. Mm-hmm. I, I also think this, I think some of the, after, you know, you know, Oklahoma wins every year in the Big 12 because the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma, quite frankly, struggling. The ACC has been, you know, 2016 being the exception, an awful conference outside of Clemson. Ohio State dominates the Big 10. Uh, so those teams kind of all slide in. All right, so you're an Indiana grad. Last year, special season on the gridiron for the Hoosiers. They would have made the playoff. So – there's a program that doesn't normally, you know, I mean, they've recruited a bunch of two and three star kids out of the South and developed and evaluated. Well, what would have a football playoff appearance meant uh, for a program like Indiana? Uh, that's a power five program, no doubt. And a big school, but it's treaded water all those years. Oh, it would have been huge. I mean, my, my roommates and friends from my were texting me just after they beat Penn State. Like, that's a win. And to this day, I cannot confirm or deny if that was actually a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll go ahead and go with sure. it because that was the official ruling, right? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, that's, that's a big deal. And that was Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby's point when he said 25 to 30 teams are going to be in the conversation in November, right? So, yeah, we'll talk about the same teams, but we'll also talk about Indiana and we'll talk about Iowa State and we'll talk about Washington, right? And and I think that makes it more fun, not only for obviously the players and coaches, but for those fan bases from coast to coast. Heather, in terms of some of the logistics of it, like you mentioned, Group 5 is going to be in there no matter what, right? Um so one of those conference champions is going to be one of the six, whether it's the Mountain West, whether it's the Sun Belt, whether it's the American. I am curious, as they talk about the purse 
the, the how they distribute all this money. I mean, the Power Five's got a pretty good thing going on, right? <laughs> they are they are raking it in while the Group Five is is picking up the crumbs. How are we are we close to knowing? Of course, the, the, a new contract is going to be more money. Uh, some people saying three, four times as much as the current deal. But but do we have any idea how it's going to be distributed amongst the 10 different conferences and Notre Dame? No, no idea. And anything that's been thrown out there is pure speculation. Um, you know, it's, it's all going to get funneled through the CFP. You know, we, well, I think we know that. But I, I know that there are some commissioners who turned around to their ADs and the first question was, okay, well, how much money are we going to make? And the answer is, didn't even go there yet. Hmm. Way too soon. Um, And as I was leaving Dallas, I knew for a fact that day that they hadn't even begun to talk to ESPN. Now that might've changed since then. I honestly have no idea if they've had conversations with our TV executives yet, but um, as you know, leaving Dallas, that conversations didn't even start. And part of the thing is that you have to know what the next contract is going to look like. Is it eight years? Is it 10 years? Is it 12? You know, that's all part of the discussion. And part of that answer goes to, well, when does it start 2023 Mm -hmm. or does it have to go until the end of the 12 year contract? So there's just so many pieces and I can't emphasize enough how much the bull contracts are at the crux of these conversations, because it's not just contracts with ESPN. The Rose bowl also has contracts, for example, with the PAC 12 and the big 10, the sugar is the sec and the big 12, right. And a contract with the CFP. So basically you're talking about a spider web of three different contracts with six major bowls and a TV network that all have to be unraveled. Is it possible? Absolutely. But every single person involved in those contracts has to agree to it in order for it to change. And I tell you, I got the sense leaving Dallas that more and more people are questioning really the feasibility of it happening before the 12 years. This is where the everything in college football moves at a glacial pace comes back into play, right? Because right. I think, and, and Feinbaum has talked about this a number of times, you can't dangle the red meat in front of, uh, you know, a, a cage full of hungry tigers and lions and then say, no, we'll, we'll get back to you in five years about this beautiful thing that everybody's excited about in college football. Probably not a, a fair question to ask, but if you were to put your money on one or the other, 2023, which, you know, at that point, some of those contracts would be done, uh, or 2025 when all of them would be done, which would your money go on? I mean, if, if I had to bet the house, it would be 2025. I just, uh, just, just because they're not going to break the contracts. They have to offer something else like, okay, Rose bowl. If you're not going to host the semifinal, here's what we're offering you instead in the next deal. And that offer Nobody knows. <laughs> what is it? You know, what's you got to have the plan right before you break one thing and say, well, we're going to break this pinky promise, but here's what you get in the next deal. Mm-hmm. What's the next deal? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I think if they could, they would do this tomorrow. I mean, I think they would implement it tomorrow, but the logistics are such that there is just, it is, I, I agree with you. The odds of getting it started in 2023 I, I hate to say it because it's 2021 and people are like, well, you got two years to figure it all out. It's not a matter of time as much as it is the substance. And I don't know how you change the substance, whether it's two years or if you gave them 10 years, some of these contracts seem really 
resistance. Uh, you're going to have resistance from people to break them. So I, 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 again, I would love to see it start tomorrow, but I don't, I don't know how that happens. I, I think that's going to be, and the other shoe that needs to drop is because I was convinced when we, we, I, again, I was convinced we were going to have an eight and the first round would be on campus. But what I didn't realize or what I didn't think about is that because of the, again, the logistics of the contracts that would, you can't just get rid of those bowl ties so the way it's being presented now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's a good chance we could have some of those early playoff games in a bowl setting and not on campus. Is that the way you're reading that? So, I mean, as of right now, the first round games in that proposal are at home. But beyond that is the question and part of the conversation. Because the other thing people have to realize, too, is – if you mess around with the bowl ties and the conferences, it has a trickle down effect on the other bowls mm-hmm. and the selection process. Because if you're the SEC and you're losing your top, go back to your original conversation, how many SEC teams are going to be in the 12 team playoff? If you're losing, let's say, four, your four best teams, how does that impact the SEC's other bowls mm-hmm. that they're tied in with? What do they get? Right. How many other teams have winning records and who are the best picks? So it's a trickle down effect. I mean, think about the ACC's bowl ties. Right. Good Lord. Like, what are you getting there? I mean, (laughs) JC pointed out you got Clemson and everybody else. You take Clemson out of that league. What do you have? Then we're having the same conversation we have about the Pac-12. Pac-12 is a better conference than the ACC from top to bottom. Just doesn't have a great team. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. Somebody finally said that, Mike. How long have I been saying that? Yeah, about five years. Yeah. Somebody, somebody fi- thank you, Heather. Thank yeah. you very much. I, I, you know, JC can now share his ACC fan hate mail with you, Heather. <laughs> he has been saying that for a while. My, I, I was going to say this on that point real quick. My only thing about that is, like, let, let's just take a ball. I'm not going to pick on the the Outback Bowl. And I love the Outback Bowl. I, I've been to Tampa multiple times to, to, to work that game. Love the Outback Bowl. But the Outback Bowl with a 12-team playoff versus a 14-team playoff is not going to be, in my opinion, any more or less relevant than it already is. Because at the end of the day, who's watching the Outback Bowl? It's people on January 1 that just want a football game to watch. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is predominantly most of the early bowl games. It's gamblers, and it's the fan bases of those two teams. So whether it's the seventh-best SEC team or the third, is there yeah. really going to be a huge difference in the, in the popularity of the game or the, or the overall interest level? Right. No, that's, that's a fair point. And I, I agree with you that some things will stay status quo, but I think some of those lower tier bowls that are struggling will certainly drop off. And I think some of those bowl executives will say, well, now, wait a minute. What do I, what do we get? That's always the conversation, right? right. What, what yeah. do we get? What, what are we left with? I, I, I'll say this, I, you know, there's six major bowls now, so if you're talking about a quarterfinal on a bowl site, that's four bowl sites. And my understanding is the proposal is the semis are neutral sites as well. They're not going back to campus for the semis. Uh, You could probably spread that. That's six games. You could probably spread that out among the major bowls. And then the semi sites would have their normal bowl games in years. They're not hosting. Uh, They would probably make them happy. It's a nice, even number. The problem is going to be is like the citrus bowl. They've spent millions of dollars upgrading their stadium in Orlando for when the playoff expanded, they would 
get their seat at the table or whatever uh, and the bowls like that. So I, you know, that's the, the whole entire bowl system to me uh, and the future of that is fascinating uh, with this thing, because it's uh, I don't think it's going anywhere as Mike and I have talked about it's programming uh, during a time where there's not a lot of programming mm-hmm. uh, and people do watch them. I mean, you look at the ratings of uh, a small bowl game versus a college basketball game during that time of the year, uh, and football outdraws it, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's fascinating to me to see kind of just what they set up. And like you said, Heather, what do they get at the end of the day? Yeah. It's funny because like name any other sport really where like the stadium can be mostly empty, but still there's a gazillion people watching it on TV because it's the holidays. You want to have football right. on and right. you play bowl mania and all that oh. stuff. Right. I get wicked competitive with that too. And I get so <laughs> mad at bowl upsets. They're so hard to predict, but I'm like always checking my sheet and adding up points and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's fun. And it, it really, aside from the bowl, right. You want to get ticket sales, obviously, but people watch it because it's college football and we can't get enough of it. So I, it. I agree. I think that the bowl system will be there, but it will be interesting to see how it changes if the system changes. She is Heather Dinich. Okay. We, we transitioning from 12 team playoff to NIL is like, we all just got to go to a, a water theme park and go down slides and go in a wave pool. And, and now we're going to the dentist chair. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not nearly as fun to discuss NIL. But you, you certainly are covering it. It's, I think anybody around college football is fascinated on how this is going to happen. We are recording this uh, right before July the 1st, which uh, technically it's, it's going to be implemented. What do you think is going to be the most dramatic change we see right off the bat in regards to NIL? Uh, <clears throat> I, I think... I mean, I think the most dramatic change is just the obvious with players taking control of their, you know, having more of, um, having more money. <laughs> like, I mean, it's going to be obvious. It's, it's going to be players signing deals, but it's going to be bigger name players, right? I think there's, I think tomorrow what we'll see is some Twitter accounts just blowing up with, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But I do think that the NCAA is a very underrated part in this because they're still going to play a role in, no, you can't, you can't do the Lamborghini, you know, or um, just in terms of monitoring the excess of it. I think it's going to be more difficult. And I think one of the most difficult jobs in college athletics is going to be compliance officers. I mean, I can't even imagine the things that are going across their desk right now. Um, and I think there's going to be a disconnect between figuring all that out for a while, as far as what players have to report to their compliance officers, you know, what's acceptable, what's not, there's going to be all kinds of things that pop up. It's going to be like the first year of the college football playoff, honestly, because because nobody, nobody knows how it works. You just got to go through it and see what happens. Right. And I I mean, honestly, I feel like that's, what it's going to be like. Everybody's waiting for tomorrow, like the ball to drop and, oh, hey, here we go. Let's see what happens. You, well, you hit on the key thing, and I've heard this from a number of people, and I actually know a, a person in compliance who told me point blank, I have no idea how we're going to monitor this. I, I have absolutely no clue, and it's not the fault of the person. It's not even the fault of the athletic department of 
uh, of her particular uh, school, mm-hmm. but it's just the reality of the NCAA clearly made a game a gamble that this was not going to take place and fought it tooth and nail to the very end and and then got dunked on in the Supreme Court to now it's at the point where I, I think the biggest issue facing this is, are we talking about additional compensation for athletes, which is the, dare I say, the benevolent sign uh, side of NIL? I don't know many people that are just hardcore against that versus outright pay for play. And, and, and there are two different things, but look, people have gotten away with cheating for a long time in football and basketball because they know that gray area and they know how to find loopholes. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the, in the perfect scenario, NIL is on the back end, right? Like you pick the school that you want to go to because you like the coach, you like the facility, you like the, the science department, whatever. And then after you get there, well, geez, Johnny's going to use his NIL and his 50,000 Instagram followers and his ability to sign autographs at uh, Joe's Ford and Chevy dealership. And he's going to make extra money that way. And everybody's happy. The school doesn't have to pay any extra money. The athlete gets extra compensation. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the Pollyannish version. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reality is you can't convince me that some schools – uh, or people associated with the school are going to try to do it on the front end, which is to say, Hey, if you're thinking about where to sign, come on over here and I'm going to get you a deal where you make 50,000 a year doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. How are they going to monitor that? How are they going to shut that down? That's a great question. And, and I think at the beginning, what we're going to see is a lot of these companies that have popped up and partnered with schools or players to help them navigate this. And eventually, they're going to figure it out themselves. And I, I think that right now, you almost need a third party to help you wade through these waters. But as people get more comfortable with it and athletic departments figure it out, like, why are you paying this company X amount of money to handle this for you? You know, and it's almost like like the agent type role, like, wait, you're getting a cut or a cut of this. Like, you know, all those, all those questions, I think. But I think one of the other things that people have to realize is um, I was talking to Iowa state um, tight end Chase Allen the other day. And he said, cause I asked him about it. He said, you can't put your school's name in with your name in this, in like whatever you're trying to do. So like he has, if he wants to do this, he's on his own with his name. It can't be Iowa state tight end. So he's gotta be tight end Chase Allen. Right. How many names out there are recognizable enough to profit off of that? That's it. Right? Yeah. Yet another point I've been trying to make is that the the value, the high-end value of a lot of this stuff in college athletics is about what's on the front of the jersey and not on the back. And that's just reality. I mean, you know, people gravitate to college sports because they – they love their school or their state or they grew up. I mean, it's, it's not like pro sports where you, you know, Hey, I like, uh, you know, I like Daryl strawberry. So I'm a Mets fan, you know, that kind of thing. And so, Mm -hmm. so I'm with you there. That's a, that's an interesting point. I think one thing is social media that that people may get a kick. I I didn't know this, but these kids, like, let's say, you know, a, a kid that's the backup quarterback does a cooking show on YouTube. And fans love it, you know, and they eat it up because mm-hmm. fans are all over. So he can't monetize that through YouTube. 
Um, and, and YouTube monetization didn't all that much, but you start getting thousands and thousands of viewers and you can't get paid for it. I, I think, you know, stuff like that, uh, you know, I think will be the first step for a lot of these guys kind of, you know, shout outs on social media, monetizing YouTube, uh, you know, things like that, of that nature. But that is interesting about the school name um, and all of that. And I think that uh, that's going to probably tone a lot of this down, you know, because I think people are going to find that, you know, it's not just the players that, 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 you know, their brand makes all this money. I think the college individual team brands are, are very strong and in many ways what drives it. Well, and plus so many of us, myself included, have like two a tunnel vision, right? You tend to focus on the big names, the big schools. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there is a vast disparity of resources from Division One all the way down to Division Three, and even within the FBS. I mean, Sankey was telling me he's got attorneys in basically every meeting he sits down at anymore because everything that they talk about has some legal implications, right? They were at the attorneys were at the CFP meetings in Dallas, you know, when you're talking about the Supreme Court ruling um, last week or whatever it was. Attorneys involved to help them decipher what does this mean on each campus, right? Well, not every school has counsel available to them to help wade through this, you know? And so you're talking about men's and women's basketball and football, and then the stars of the brightest programs. And then beyond that, I I don't know, you know, like, like Jason, I feel like it's going to, the dust will settle and maybe, maybe the window is much smaller than people are thinking it's going to be right now. I, I think you're both on to something there. The only thing I would throw in, like we all saw the SMU 30 for 30, right? Like what was <laughs> what was going on before they got the death penalty? And you think of all the uh, Eric Dickerson getting the Trans Am and so-and-so getting this, and, and, and they weren't all star players that were getting serious compensation. Some of them were flat-out busts, you know, five-star recruits that never panned out, but they already said, hey, if you come here, we're going to give you this, so they got to keep paying you, keep paying you. And eventually they, they were kind of stupid about it and got busted a second time, and the rest is history. If I'm Joe Booster, who's crazy enough to give a kid and of my own money a $60,000 car and I'm not going to get anything in return. What's to say I'm not going to also do the same type of thing under NIL uh, saying, well, I'll give the the offensive line 50 grand a a pop for doing this. I know I'm not going to get that money back. It's not, I keep calling it artificial demand in some cases. So it's not a true, like, you know, tit for tat, I'm going to pay you this and I'm going to get this on the back end return. I don't care. I'm, I'm crazy booster guy. I got a lot of money. And I just want to get whatever players I can get to come to campus. So under the guise of NIL, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give that, pay that money to get that recruit or those recruits. And we'll figure out a a way to put it under NIL. But I know deep down, I'm not going to get my money back. I'm just going to help the program that I love win more games with better players. Can you see that being a problem? Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's going to be problems left and right, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think we're all, we're all definitely in, in for that. Uh, by the way, we have no attorneys present for this, uh, for, for this particular yeah. podcast. Heather, I know we've kept you long enough. Um, what are you working on next? What are we looking for uh, next in terms of the story front? 
Yep. So on Monday, July 5th, I've got a piece coming out on ESPN.com that's breaking down um, more than just the usual suspects for the college football playoff contenders. Just, you know, who's got a realistic shot, teams you shouldn't forget about, um, and just overall conference analysis for all of them. Is, there, is it safe to say Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma will be featured in this article? They might be mentioned. <laughs> I, I, I tried to focus on other teams, too. Hey, Penn, Penn State has a line in there, too. So, there we go. I like yeah, it. I like some it. Other, there's some other teams getting thrown out. Some, some dark horses out there. Maybe, maybe this will be the year of some surprises. I think we're, we're certainly due for it. Um, Heather, can't thank you enough. I really appreciated your work from afar and look forward to running, you, running into you down the, uh, down the path of another college football season. Thank you so much for the time. Keep up the great work. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Heather. Thank you, Heather. Great stuff by uh, one of the best in the business, Heather Dinich. Can't say enough about the work that she's been doing over the years for uh, a number of outlets, as she mentioned, but in in particular ESPN.com, and and you catch her all the time now on ESPN and Feinbaum, et cetera. So really thank her for taking out the time. JC and I have uh, some other thoughts on those two matters and some other things going on in uh, college football. We'll get into that and some other things. Final segment of JC and Morgan coming up after this. Founders is offering a low rate mortgage with up to 4,000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Welcome back, J.C. and Morgan. Again, our thanks to Heather Dinich for stopping by. Phil Steele, by the way, will join us next week. He of the College Football Bible um, joins us uh, just about every year on this podcast, and uh, we'll be ripping through a lot of questions specifically about teams. I saw there's an over-under list. Uh, Barrett Salee of CBSSports.com has got one out. I'll tackle that in a minute. A- any final thoughts, JC, on 12-team playoff NIL? You and I have touched on this multiple times. I, I thought Heather brought an interesting perspective, but um, anything that-, that you've been kind of hitting on the message boards or anywhere else about yeah. these things? You know, 12-team playoff, is I, it's, gr- it's grown on me. I, I wasn't a, a, a proponent of expansion. I was worried to death that eight would kind of have – you know, I don't know. Yeah, my and my whole issue's been with the group of five the whole time. And uh, you know, I I did just did. I was like, we're going to get a situation where, like, a Texas A and M with two losses from the West of the SEC 
is going to get left out. An undefeated App State, whose best win is over a five and seven East Carolina or NC State, is going to get in. And I don't think that's fair. Now, the way they're doing it now, uh, the 12 is growing on me because, uh, you know, there's room for the highest. You know, first of all, the group of five, it's not the highest ranked. Uh, you know, some mythical championship, they have to be conference champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you're the highest ranked out of those, you get in. And then if you have a year like th- that year in the Pac-12, I mean, I went back and sketched it out of using the BCS rankings and the playoff rankings. There's a couple of years where like, you know, Boise State and a UCF would have made the playoff. Uh, and in that situation, Mike, I feel like, okay, they, they've earned it. Because there's obviously a flawed Power Five champion out there somewhere. If they're not, you know, one of the top six conference champions, and, and so that way you're not knocking somebody that's more. Deserved. I think that's a fair way to do it. Uh, the only concern I have with it uh, is the home games versus bowls versus bowls, um, and, and I think that with fans too, and, and fans usually adjust. It's college football. Um, I'm just not sure that you can sit there and go like I recommended. (laughs) My recommendation was not good uh, and say, all right, we're going to rotate the major bowls and have a fan base have to go to Miami and then Phoenix and then to like a a Indianapolis or Houston in a three week period uh, for uh, quarters, semis and, and, and finals. Now they do it in basketball. Um, and I guess that's okay, but you know, you're talking about a, a, you know, bigger fan bases and people that travel and stuff like that, you know, so, so I wouldn't mind them, wouldn't mind seeing them to a certain extent, you know, sort of maybe not reseeding anybody, but saying, okay, well, you know, these two teams were here, you know, so they're going to go to the Peach Bowl now because that's closer to their campuses. And then, yeah, you know, regionalize it just a little bit because I, you know, that, that travel thing is going to, that's going to be tough. <laughs> that's going to, that's going to hit the pocketbook of some folks. So, um, and, and that's not really what college football has been about. You know, college football is about, you know, Iowa bringing 40,000 fans to the Outback Bowl. Now those days are, they don't really do that anymore, but uh, <laughs> you know, those days are, I think everybody's kind of sick of the Outback Bowl. Yeah, so the Iowa they, fans are like, all right, uh, all right that. you know, but uh, <laughs> so, so we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens, but that, that would be my concern. And then, you know, the quirky Notre Dame thing. I mean, and, and, I, and I did hear somebody say the other day, uh, and I didn't necessarily agree with it, that it wouldn't be fair for Notre Dame to get a home game in, in December every year because it's cold. And I'm like, well, man, you know, the, the entire sport's sort of skewed more towards warm weather teams. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I don't right. I don't have a problem with with well, Auburn having to go to state college, you know, or something like that. No. I, I don't I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean um, if anything, know. Notre Dame I think has potentially the biggest grape of them all because and I love this. And I applaud the people in that room that looked Jack Swarbick in the eye and said, look, no conference, no first round bye, period. Well, but, period. You know, but Swarbick's sitting there going, well, we're going to get a home game every single year and you can jack up season. I mean, look, I live part of the time outside of Chicago. The value of a Notre Dame season ticket with the potential of a home playoff game every year is going right. to go through the roof. So. I, I get it. Financially, you could certainly make the argument it's a win for Notre Dame, but 
I mean, look, Notre Dame has no problems in the cash department to begin with. <laughs> so if you're if you're Brian Kelly, I think you'd gladly trade, uh, you know, an extra payday for, for if if Notre Dame goes twelve and zero. And they, and, and they got to play the, you know, the nine 12 game or, I mean, yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what they want, uh, but that's what they're getting. And, and if, mm. if you don't want to play ball and get into a conference like everybody else, we're not going to give, and this is where things have changed. I'm, I'm telling you yeah. 20 years ago, Notre Dame would have been given whatever they wanted. Okay. You go 12 and 0. Absolutely. You're going to be one of the top eight seeds and get the first round by because you're Notre Dame by golly. Not anymore. Big time college football doesn't need Notre Dame. It likes Notre Dame. It doesn't need Notre Dame. So I was impressed by that. And you're right. It's an extra payday, assuming they get to host, but uh, but I don't think everybody involved with that football program that's not going to see those extra dollars is thinking, well, this is a win because we get an extra home game. They might be thinking our chances of winning a national title just took a dent. Cause I'm here to tell you, people are like, well, now we're asking student athletes to play 17 games. Uh, I don't think you're going to have that happen at all. I don't, I think it's going to be a once in a lifetime situation where a team that doesn't get that first round by actually is playing for the title. I think, I think that is as big as it would be in another sport like basketball or baseball. It's much bigger in football. It's much bigger. We see that in the NFL playoffs all the time. The team that the team that has the first round by that is a huge advantage. So uh, that's what I was worried about when I started hearing 12 and Notre Dame and uh, are we just going to give Notre Dame a seat at the yeah, no. automatic qualifier table because they're Notre Dame? No, they said no. I got to say, and I never thought I would say this. The reason, and this is to your point, because if I'm reading you right, you've kind of been won over, you know, like you didn't really like the idea of 12, like a lot of people. I didn't like the number 12. When I read the, the, the devil's in the detail, you've heard that expression. I was waiting to be so turned off and so disappointed. And then I read it and I was like, okay, top six conference. That's not bad. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other six get up. Okay. That's not bad. Notre Dame does not get an automatic first. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's like, I'm like, I got to tell you, if you're going to do 12, this could not have been done any better. Yes, we we are are, are, the the bar has been set so low by the people that run college football that convinced us to have co-national champions that convinced us that a BCS with five computers and then two sets of bias pollsters, they convinced us all these things were best for college football and they were never right. And then they do a four team playoff and that's had some issues. When I heard 12 team playoff, like this is going to be a disaster. I can't trust these people to conduct an oil change properly. How am I going to trust them to put together the biggest, most dramatic change in the college football postseason landscape ever? And I got to say, they nailed it. They nailed it. They, even if you aren't for 12, it, it, everything they're saying makes sense. Every mm-hmm. argument they're giving makes sense. It, it's not going to hurt your favorite team. It's not going to hurt your favorite conference. Can you make the argument that some regular season games won't be as impactful? 
Yes, but you can also make the argument, and what they're making the argument is, all those games that have been irrelevant in November are now relevant. And they're right. Like, and so I, like, part of me is like, Mike, how are you so dumb not to see this? Again, I wanted eight, but I get it. Like 12, we, we can make this work, and I would certainly take it over the four that we have. So I'm like everybody else. I say everybody else. You know, there's never a – nothing is absolute. But if you want to talk about a consensus, it's there. You can feel it. Most people are excited about this deal. And – the only thing that's frustrating now is like we talked about with Heather, we might have to wait four more stinking years to get it. And that would be a disappointment in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you think about this too, Mike, I mean, it, it's, it's a deal where I, I kind of think, and I've talked to some coaching staffs, uh, you know, from, you know, a couple of programs and, and more than one, I'll put that out there that, uh, they think this is a lifeline for their, for their football program mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, especially like, let's say you're in the SEC, it's a lot easier to get into the top four of the SEC in a good year. Or like if you're Indiana last year, you just have a magical run through the big 10 um, or, or whoever, you know, whoever's out there, Utah and the season they had a few years ago where they were a game away from the actual 14 playoff, you know, that's achievable. You talk about the path of least resistance. There's not as much resistance than having to go to Mercedes Benz and knock off Atlanta. Or if you're Utah and your program's never been in that position and you have to go knock off the ducks, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's a deal where, Hey, it's going to be okay. We can sneak into this playoff as long as we take care of business and you can sell that in recruiting. Um, and look, I, I, you know, a lot of Clemson fans and, and Alabama fans and uh, Oklahoma fans, Ohio State fans probably weren't too happy about the expansion. Uh, mm-hmm. But those programs are probably going to be there, uh, you know, either way. They just have to, you know, do more than win a crappy conference and then win two games. They're going to have to win three or four, uh, which is fine. Uh, so, so, so I like that. And look, you know, you look at it like I'm looking at LSU schedule for next year. All right, yeah, they play at Alabama, November 6th. Normal year, that game may decide the West. The next three games, Arkansas, Louisiana, Monroe, A&M, you know, they're just games until they get to Atlanta, uh, trying not to get upset. Well, that A&M game now, (laughs) which, you know, LSU or Bama may have already won the West, but that A&M game on Thanksgiving weekend may be for a playoff spot. You know, whereas it was just kind of a nice – you know, border rivalry and a nice game to watch on Thanksgiving since the Aggies don't play Texas anymore. But, uh, you know, so those types of things I think are going to really matter. Now here's the reverse problem I I see kind of down the future is some of these schools like Georgia have over, have just scheduled, 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 right? Uh, Georgia has a a year, a three-year stretch where they're playing, along with Georgia Tech, either Texas, Florida State, Texas, Clemson, or Florida State, Clemson, all in the same year. And they're all at the beginning of the season. And, you know, with 12 and with at-large, you know, is the committee all of a sudden going to start valuing losses in those big games more than wins? Because right now, and and what they've done so far, and Notre Dame is proof of this, Mike, 
is that they value their old school, you know, college football is an undefeated sport. If you go undefeated, that's great. It doesn't matter if you hadn't played hardly anybody is an eight and four Georgia. If since they've overscheduled like this, actually more attractive to than than maybe like an 11, one tech 11 and one a and M from the West. That's only lost to power. Or let's say they're 10 and two or nine and three from the West, but they're better and ranked higher. You know, those are the questions because I, I think a lot of schools have scheduled big time opponents in the future with an eye toward playoff expansion. But I'm not so sure that, you know, 12 and how they're structuring it, there's six at larges and kind of with the history of the committee. I'm not so sure that's smart anymore. I, I think you do need to beef up your schedule. You can't play absolutely nobody, but unless there's a fundamental change. Uh, with, with how these teams are evaluated and really how we evaluate college football teams. Uh, so, some of these schools down the road, and I use Georgia as an example because they're the most egregious example of overscheduling. They're going to schedule their way out of the 12-team playoff. Maybe they're banking on the Eastern Division continuing <laughs> to be <laughs> this the JV of the SEC, um, which, I, which I don't think is going to be the case. I, I think there's going to be some programs, already is, uh, some programs on the rise in, in the Eastern division compared to what it was, which was pretty woeful a few years ago. But, and of course we all did, we do know those contracts can and have been broken in the hmm. past. If, if they, you know, if one, I could just see one year where that happens, your scenario happens and they wind up finishing number 13 and it costs them a shot because they, that extra difficult at a conference game loss, yeah. you're gonna see the fans revolt and say, we're not playing, uh, Southern Cal in 2029 when Southern Cal is good again, maybe, or maybe not. Um, so let's go ahead and change it. No, well, we're going to rescind that offer. And look, I have way, I, I, I have way see Alabama doing it. I understand Alabama fans are kind of bored. I mean, uh, just because they always play these neutral site games. If you're an Alabama season ticket holder, great. Some years you get like Western Kentucky, Louisiana, Monroe. And then if Auburn is bad, you get a 40-point Iron Bowl and, uh, you know, Arkansas, Mississippi State. <laughs> you know, and, and that's your season ticket at home. So I, under, I understand Bama fundamentally wanted to do that. And, and look, man, they're going to be probably most likely very hard to beat until Nick Saban – hangs it up. But, you know, Georgia doing that was, was very interesting to me. Cause I was like, huh, that's, are they planning on being that good? And, you know, and, and, but then again, what, what, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of weight is that going to have uh, for a 12 team playoff? Well, and, and again, this is what it would have looked like last year. So your top four seeds, Bama, Clemson, Ohio state, Notre Dame would have been given a buy. Your eight nine would have been Cincinnati Georgia, which we did see it was an outstanding matchup. Maybe you had, maybe you would have had less opouts uh, for Georgia if uh, they knew it was actually a playoff. Number five Texas A and M, number twelve Oregon. I mean, come on. Number seven Florida, number ten Iowa State. These are great games. Number six Oklahoma, number eleven Indiana. These are great games that we are for the most part cheated out of, or even if we get them, they don't have the same appeal when they're not with something bigger on the line. I, I, I think there's going to be very few people, and I, I do have to laugh because some of the people that have been telling you for the last five years that a 14 playoff is absolutely enough and you should never even think about having more. Some of those people I honestly think thought they were on the right side of the issue because people 
like Greg Sankey, again, the the godfather was was saying publicly, four is enough, we don't need more. Uh, and then all of a sudden when they heard he was instrumental in this 12-team uh, expansion, well, you know, come and think of it, I like this 12th uh, idea. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I take back what I said. There's very few people clinging to the idea that we should stay at four teams for the rest of time. Uh, even if you're like me and you thought it should have been eight or some people thought it should have been six. I don't know many people that are still saying, by golly, college football is going to be ruined because we're going from four to a higher number. I don't (laughs) think that really exists out there much anymore. All right. um, Coming up in just a minute, we'll wrap things up. A little over under win total for SEC teams. I do want to mention you're always going to be on the underside in terms of what your mortgage rate will be if you go with one man and one man only. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage, she has helped me out no matter where I've lived, the Carolinas, Georgia. Uh, if I decide to uh, go to Del Boca Vista in Florida, he's still going to be my guy to make sure I get the lowest mortgage rates around, and that's what he'll do for you. He's, when I give out this phone number, this is his cell. It's not like a uh, you know secretary line. This is not some major racket. It's just a guy that's like it's all he does, as I often uh, joke about. I don't know if Stuart Wingo is good at much else, quite frankly. He's not much of an athlete. Uh, He's not a scholar. Uh, I've never heard him tell a funny joke. Uh, All I know is he's going to save you thousands of dollars on a new mortgage or a refi if you call this number, and it's worth writing down. How many numbers are you going to get today that will save you that much money and make your life a little bit easier? 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. All right, J.C., we're not going to spend too much time on this because I know we're going long, but I thought it was kind of fun. It's it's that time of year. You know how it is. The guys that are are writers and doing articles, you, you gotta you gotta get content. And so here we are, win totals, baby. I know it's cliche, but who doesn't like a good over under prop bet on win totals? This is courtesy uh, of Barrett Salee, who does good work over there at CBS.com. Alabama eleven and a half. It's an insanely high number. Like everything says do not go over on an 11 and a half prop bet. Gun to your head. Not low. No, I'm I'm going over. I, you know, I'm I'm just not. And look, I I would have, I may change my, I would have maybe changed my mind if I got into the season and, Saw Texas A&M's quarterback situation or, or something like that, or maybe LSU comes, bounces back up off the map. But, man, this – look, Miami may give them a game. They play at Florida. That's not going to be a game. They play at A&M. I, I, again, I just think Alabama's the better football team. And then it's smooth sailing to a 12-0 record. Uh, of course, the Iron Bowl is in Auburn this year. That's always That's always tricky. But I, I'm going over. I'm going. I'm. I'm not going to doubt them right now. Only because I think at some point they're going to have to have a new quarterback who doesn't play like a Heisman Trophy winner. Am I going to say under because the number is insanely high? Um, this is just a. This is just the 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 Vegas a practical side of me. This is no knock on Alabama. Alabama is still going to play for a national championship in all likelihood, and they might run the table again, but I would just take the under just because that number scares me. And because I'm not completely sold on the quarterback situation yet. Arkansas. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Arkansas, Arkansas, five and a half. 
I mean, they've got an extremely tough schedule. Uh, you know, they got Texas at home, but they have a chance to start three and zero. And that A and M game in Dallas is, goes back to Dallas always. That they play at Georgia October second. I'm going to go over. I think the Hogs will get to six wins, and the Pit Boss will get to a bowl. You know, they were they got to a bowl last year. They had to back out because of COVID. But they, 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 I would get to, definitely get to, get them to six this year because they they pay <laughs> they play Pine Bluff and and all that. Now, look, I you know I, Georgia Southern's maybe tricky and all that, but I, I I don't feel great about them going over five and a half. But uh, I, I'm going to have some faith. For my Arkansas folks, and say, They're, "All right, okay, all right, don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't you sleep on the rice owls, hoot, hoot." Uh, no, I, I, I'm actually going to go under, um, and this is why. Their schedule's insane. Texas A and M at Georgia, Auburn at LSU at Alabama at Ole Miss, Missouri, Mississippi State. I, I, I think they can have just as good a year as last year but still not hit six wins. I'm, I'm going to go under on that. No knock on the pit boss, no knock on the direction Arkansas is going. I think they're a great story, but I just don't like that number. And I, and I definitely don't like that schedule. All right. Auburn seven and even seven. I'm going to go. Uh, I, you see, I like their schedule and, and I think Penn state is sort of a, a question mark right now. Uh, so they can start four Oh, easily. Uh, before they go to LSU, where they haven't won in quite some time. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go over. I think Auburn can win eight this year. Uh, I think, uh, you know, they, they've got, you know, Harson. it's going to be an adjustment period to the SEC. I don't think this is going to be the best Auburn team ever, but I think they'll get to eight, probably eight with the bowl um, if they if they drop an upset. Let's say they lose uh, at home to Mississippi State or at South Carolina in November or something like that. I'm with you. I'll go over on that. Love the running game, and I can't imagine they'll have uh, as erratic quarterback play as they had a year ago. They won't. They will. They will start. They will bench Bo Nix and play T.J. Finley, the transfer from LSU. Right. right. Uh, if they, it's in case of emergency, break glass. And keep in mind, Mike Bobo is now the OC there. Pretty familiar with his work, and he'll definitely sit a quarterback down if he's not yes. performing. And he's not afraid to ground and pound either, which uh, I think could be Auburn's strength. Florida, nine wins over under. I'm going to go with the Gators going under. I am too. I, 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 I but, and I, I may hate myself for this, Mike, because I doubt them just about, I've stopped doubting them the last two years. But why, after sitting through the Cotton Bowl and then looking at the the schedule, you know it, it rotates back to Baton Rouge with LSU, uh, tricky game at Kentucky, got a game at USF, then Bama comes in. They're at South Carolina and at Missouri. Those are two teams that I, at times have given them trouble, uh, especially on the road. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm going to go under the for the Gators. Yeah, uh, this is one where I wish it was. Um... Uh, like eight and a half maybe, but I, th- that might tempt me, but I, I'll go under as well because Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, they're going to be fairly good underdogs, I think, in all three of those games. And then you've got some swing games that are losable. And I I, I know, like, I think I think the program, I, I don't understand. All, I think some people personally just don't like Dan Mullen, and, and I get it, 
But you can't tell me Dan Mullen hasn't done a good job in Gainesville. I mean, great job. I, I want to ask these folks: did, did you cover the team when they, when when you had uh, Mister I'm in love with with sharks and um, shark and Muschamp? I mean, and Muschamp, like I mean, the program was languishing. Hey. And Mullen comes in, and all of a sudden, like they gave Alabama the best game of all that bowl game was basically an, beyond an exhibition. You had every key player opt out like they, well, were just, yeah, yeah. they were just showing up for the sake of showing up but 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 basically the the roster laid down that's not a unfortunately that's a sign of the times that's not a dan mullen issue it's not like there was a player revolt or anything like that um uh, so i think mullen's great but i don't know if mullen i don't know if emory jones i hear people talking about emory jones like he's dak prescott i haven't seen that mm, even in the limited either. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm not getting that vibe. I, I think that kid Richardson, that's uh, the local kid, may end up being the quarterback. At the I end agree. Of the too. Yeah. I, so that, I, yeah, it may be one like we were talking about Franks a couple of years ago. Trask comes in, saves the season. You know, that may be the same thing. There could could very well be the the case. Uh, Georgia, ten and a half. Everybody's picked to win the East. I um. <laughs> Come on, you know I'm you going. I'm going over. I'm, <laughs> I've got to go over. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know that they beat Clemson in the opener, uh, but the rest of that schedule, man. I mean, you, Vanderbilt, Auburn, who they've owned, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Those are the road games this year. Then you play the Gators and what I think will be a down Florida team in Jacksonville. So I have to go over. But don't be surprised if Clemson takes them to the woodshed in the opener. Uh, I don't know about woodshed, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they lost. And even if they did, you could still squeeze 11 uh, out. So I'll, I'll go over as well. And if it's not over, um, it's going to be a long off season for Kirby Smart. <laughs> I'll tell you that fair or unfair. doesn't matter what, what I think is fair. Just, I can just tell you living here in Atlanta, um, the Georgia fans have gotten a taste of the good life and now they want that final chapter. And if it's not delivered soon, uh, there's going to be angst in the air around Sanford Stadium. Kentucky, seven. Seven for Kentucky. Kentucky, uh, you know, they've got a lot of good players back. They lost some guys, but they got a lot back. They got a uh, middle linebacker transfer. They got Ole Miss's best defensive player, I think. Jaquez Jones transferring in from the portal. The schedule sets up really nice. Uh, but you got a road game at South Carolina. I'm not giving that uh, to Kentucky yet because you know it's 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 down there probably at night. You got a road game at Georgia. You got LSU coming to town. Um, they got at Mississippi State, uh, and I think, quite frankly, Scott Satterfield and then Louisville. Uh, you know, you start you read up on his offense. It's always a tricky out. Uh, can they win seven? Yeah, I think that Missouri game's the swing game, but I'm going to go under. I think Kentucky's six and six this year. Uh, gets back to a bowl, stays nice and steady, but I think they're the offseason darling team. Them and Missouri are the offseason darling teams of the SEC. East. And if you think about it, Mike, it's always a fail. Missouri and Kelly Bryant were going to set the league on fire and win the division. Six and six, the coach got fired. Uh, you know, that, 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 it scares me, the, the SEC East darlings. Uh, of the offseason. I'm going to go push. I'm going to go a seven and five year for coach Stoops. And I'm amazed at how many games they've been able to win with a fairly inept passing attack with, with fairly inaccurate passers. I mean, they haven't had much at all. Like it's been a smoke and mirrors job 
the games they have won over the last three years, that's a credit to, to coach. And I know they've changed coordinators and you got transfers. And I mean, they keep trying to find that winning solution at quarterback. I'm not sure it's there yet, but I do know this, they're, they're going to do the other things that you need to do to win close games. And that's, what's been Kentucky's specialty. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a push and say seven and five. LSU, think, yep. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I think their lines of scrimmage are cycling up and, and mm-hmm. uh, are back to kind of really, I think the lines of scrimmage are as good as that 10 and three team are uh, like you mentioned, new coordinator. I'm uh, curious about all that. LSU eight and a half. Eight and a half for LSU. Very interesting. Yeah, game in the Rose Bowl is intriguing. UCLA sometimes, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I remember a few years back, uh, Rick Neuheisel upset a pretty strong Tennessee team out there in the opener. We all remember Kevin Sumlin and the choke job uh, in Pasadena a few years back with A&M. Ah, well, I don't know why you scheduled this game. I tell you this, though, LSU – Opened at Washington a few years back, had no problems. They opened in at Arizona State a few years back, had no problems. I, I, I you know, I think they'll win that one. Um, eight and a half. I, you know, I'm going to go over. I think uh, Coach O is going to get them back to nine, ten wins this year. A lot of people I talk to think they're going to be very dangerous. Um, they got they they also have a new coordinator. They went and hired some of Joe Brady's assistants from the Carolina Panthers to come back and say, Hey, we want to run what we did in 2019. Uh, I like Max Johnson as a quarterback, um, uh, provided he's the guy that wins it over uh, Brennan. Yeah. I think that, Oh yeah. I like Max better than Brennan. Uh, and I think they've got obviously always have a lot of talent and I don't think coach O is going to let the defense be as bad as it was uh, with Bo Pelini part duh. <laughs> last year no nothing nothing will top that um I, I i'll tell you I'm, I'm sure that mike leach petitioned lsu to keep bo pelini mm. and to make sure he stays in a man-to-man for four quarters against that air raid offense uh i will um i'll go over although i think the one of the most intriguing games in the sec not just for this year but moving forward lsu's got texas a&m at home now, if A&M wants to make a statement that they are at least number the second banana in the West and actually making uh, making progress towards Alabama, then they have to win that game. They have to. Uh, LSU, if they lose that game, then some of the luster of the Coach O uh, tenure, which already took a hit last year, and is taking, you could say, a hit in, in some other circles. We're not going to delve into that on this podcast. Um, that that all of a sudden, you know, the, the vibe changes a little bit. If college football fans have a short memory when it comes to winning a championship, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, what happened? So I, I, that's, a, that's a really, really key game for both those programs, I believe. But I, I'll, take the, I'll take over and take a nine and three. Out of the boys from Baton Rouge, Mississippi State six. Man, I'm going. Uh, <laughs> I hate to do this. Uh, I'm going over, uh, and and I'll tell you why. Was a believer in the pirate, called the big upset, then stopped believing, but then realized it was just that he had a quarterback he had no business playing out there playing. They got shut out by Alabama, but I watched that game, and all of a sudden they're going up and down the field. They barely beat Vanderbilt, which was atrocious. Then all of a sudden they take Georgia to the wire. They take Ole Miss to the wire. 
uh, and then they spanked Missouri. And then that bowl game, Mike, I sat here and had a few beers that day. Thursday was New Year's Eve. Okay, got started early, watched that game. They pulled it out against Tulsa, and there was a fight afterward, and Leach said something. Playing in that bowl game, I think, gave them a, a big spark heading into this year. And if you look at it, Louisiana Tech, NC State, at Memphis, then LSU comes to Starkville. Uh, that could be a disastrous start, but it's probably going to be a pretty good start, I think, because I think they found a quarterback in Will Rogers that can make it happen. And if he can't get it done, they got another guy in the spring game that, that's a transfer that lit it up. So I, I think now that he has his quarterback and he's kind of fine-tuned his receivers, um, he could have a chance. And also Zach Arnett, who, who got some job offers from some other schools in state mm-hmm. in Mississippi State, is one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. So I'm going to say they win more than six. I think it's going to be a, a nice year for the Pirate down in Starkville. Uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir. You stole a lot of my thunder, which is good because that means I, I get to talk less. Um, I, recency bias. I had him in the spring game, put him under a microscope. Uh, you look at what they did toward the end. Will Rogers is exactly Mike Leach's kind of quarterback. Some people might've looked at the spring football game stats. It was a less than inspired effort, but, but they split them up. They didn't have all the ones together going up against the two, the way Mike Leach did it. You, you can set up your quarterback to look really good in a spring game. If you, if you want to surround him with the best players and have him go up against the two, that's not the way they did it. They, they split up the top backs, top wideouts, top linemen. Um, I think, I think next year you're going to see that air raid look like the air raid defense. As you mentioned, Zach Arnett, does he have, you know, the, the, the talent, the personnel that they had two years ago, three years ago in Starkville? no, but he can scheme them up. So I'll give Mississippi state seven and five Missouri seven quick hitter going under, not a believer love Connor Bezalek. I think last year, when you look at Missouri's results, it was, it was impressive because they would win some, uh, the low scoring games and then lose some high and win some high score games. But I, I think they, they were very fortunate catching a lot of teams at the right time. I think Eli Drinkwitz is a very good coach, but I think this year, uh, they're going to be another one of those darlings from the East that, you know, probably aren't as good. I, like game week four in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, I think is going to be a, a, a reality, uh, come to reality for the Missouri Tigers. They had a couple of really special seniors that have moved on. Um, uh, for, forgive me, the linebacker who, who was a tackling machine. His name yeah. just escaped me, Bolton. Um, he, he played out of his mind. And then they, you know, they had a veteran uh, running back group. And uh, yeah, I'm a Connor Basilak guy, but I see six and six, not not eight and four. So I'll go under Ole Miss seven and a half. I am going over with Ole Miss, but not by much. Uh, A lot of people just want to sort of say they're going to contend or I mean, they still got to fix that defense, Mike. Uh, And and I don't know that 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 it's going to get fixed, but I, I Certainly love their offense, and I, and I think Lane Kiffin, uh, maybe it's been a little understated because he hasn't been at Bama, uh, what kind of play-calling guy he is. He, he's taken what he used to do, combined it with the Art Bryles system uh, and what he ran at Florida Atlantic, and now he's just a play-calling uh, guru down there, uh, almost like a modern Spurrier that keeps evolving. So uh, I'm not going to count them out of anything, but you know, you, you look at it, that Louisville game is going to be very important. 
you know, to, to get off to a good start, 3-0 start before you go to Tuscaloosa uh, and all that. Good news for them, they got Tennessee out of the other division. Um, so that's not going to be – Tennessee and Vandy are the two teams from the other division. So that's not going to be uh, terribly uh, challenging. You know who else I got out of conference? Liberty. <laughs> Watch out for the flames. My my my, my behind would be a little bit tight. Uh, if, yeah, uh, if I knew that was coming down the pipe. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. And uh, Mister, is it Malik Willis? Malik Willis, yeah, former he is, he's Auburn, back. Auburn right. transfer, and uh, Hugh Freeze has worked wonders with that guy. Just like yeah. I think Kevin's worked wonders with Matt Corral because I wasn't a oh. Corral guy. I remember. Um, I remember. Uh, it worked wonders with him. Uh, so has Hugh Freeze with Malik. And you bet you that Hugh Freeze, he wants to come in there and, and cut them. And heck, that's after no. they go to after they go to Auburn and before they have A and M in Oxford. So that's uh, that's that a tricky a, time. Gosh, what I what I would love to be calling that game on TV. That's going to be a. Th- who would have ever thought Ole Miss Liberty would be must see TV? But that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I love Corral. I think Corral could have the best season of any quarterback in the country this year. Yeah, I said it. Doesn't mean they're not going to still lose games. Uh, they are because they have no defense still. Seven and a half is so tricky. Uh, I mean, what if Corral got hurt? I'm going to go under. I'm going to go seven and five. I'm going to yeah. go seven and five. Uh, uh, South Carolina, three and a half. You and I are both in agreement over, right? Yeah, I, I think that's, 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 you know, that's good. And I mean, unless there's just something about East Carolina and Troy that are just, you know, fantastic. South Carolina should beat Vandy, Troy, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina. And, you know, probably a couple other teams like that. I think the Gamecocks can go six and six this year. Yeah, I mean, other winnable games. Uh, you, you got at Missouri, you got Tennessee. Kentucky, you got at Tennessee. I mean, to me, th- those are winnable. It's it's a rebuild. Everybody knows that, but I, I think you could still squeeze four out. Tennessee six under. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, I, I, and you know, the people that set these lines. I'll tell you, I'll tell, I'll say, I'll say one thing. Tennessee did have their stud young quarterback. He's booted out of the program now. He got arrested against Sater or whatever. But they've got a good group of quarterbacks. And they have some guys like Jalen Hyatt at receiver that you think Josh Heupel, if he can get it going. Their schedule isn't that bad. They could get three wins, Bowling Green, Pitt, and Tennessee Tech. But I and I love my Vol friends, don't get me wrong. I'm concerned that reality is going to set in. Saturday, September 11th, when Pittsburgh comes to town, Pittsburgh's very well coached mm-hmm. at Narduzzi. Um, and then it's, it's just going to spiral from there. I mean, they've got Ole Miss and Alabama from the other division. That's, that's never a good sign. I think they will be an underdog against Pittsburgh at home to, to, yeah. to uh, back up your point. Yeah. I'll go under um, Jake uh, Bentley and the South Alabama Jaguars coming to Neyland yeah. on November 20. Jake's one and oh at, at Tennessee. That's right. Don't sleep on the boys from mobile a uh, and M nine and a half. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go over. I think they're going to win right at 10 this year. Yeah. Um, I'm with you again at LSU. If they win at LSU, then the the, the 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 bet's a lock. If they lose it, then that could be a problem. That game out in Boulder's tricky. That that second week of the season because mm-hmm. I the air out there and it, and it's at, I'm sorry, it's not in Boulder. It's at Mile High Stadium uh, in Denver. But Colorado sometimes is a hellacious little team. I watched them a couple times last year. Sometimes they look like they didn't want to play football. Sometimes yeah. they look like world beaters under Carl Durrell, which was an interesting hire. But uh, you know that that's a little tricky. You get past that though. 
and you got Arkansas and Dallas, Mississippi State at home, Bama at home. You got to go to Missouri, which I think they'll handle. Um, you know, they've got a pretty favorable schedule. Uh, and like you said, that LSU game is going to be big. Okay, so even if Vanderbilt goes winless in the SEC, you got East Tennessee State at Colorado State and UConn and Stanford as your non-con over under three. The fighting can the, the, the fighting Clark leaves three. I thought you were going to say the fighting Ken Seals. I, I I was, and then I was like, ah, let's give Clark Lee top billing. He's Mike, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go under three. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't think they're going to win a game in the, in, the, in the SEC. And you see Colorado State will probably beat them. They got to be UConn at home. Stanford will be. They could be UConn at home, and they'll the East Tennessee is still sort of building so back their program. So that's two. The Colorado State road game in third. That, that game's in Fort Collins, right? Yes, it's, it is. They scheduled that bad boy, Fort Collins. Vandy goes to Georgia State in a couple of years. They they schedule crazy road games. So that game in Fort Collins is the swing game to get to oh, a push. Man. I'm going to say Steve Adazio and the Rams take down the doors up there in Fort Collins, Colorado, and hey, they go two and ten. I'm giving them a push. I'm going to say Clark Lee pulls out – a rabbit out of the hat against somebody. I hate to be that somebody, mm. uh, especially if it's an SEC school, but I'm going to say three and nine anchor down, baby on a push hopefully for Nashville. Not, hopefully it's not Tennessee that they beat be good at all. Oh man. I feel so bad. So hopefully the balls have a better than expected year, but uh, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, that's uh, that's my thing there. I'm, I'm not going to have, I tell you, after the James Franklin era, they brought in Mason, and I was like, I don't think – I was living in Nashville. I was like, I don't think this Mason thing is going to work out. He's changing the defense. He's changing the offense. They just won 18 games in two years. This isn't going to work, square peg and round hole. You know, he wants to run the I formation. They're a spread team. And I said I, – I announced that they were going to go winless in the Southeastern Conference. I think it was 2014. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I got tattooed by the 25 Vandy fans on our network uh, for about, about three weeks. And then they were playing Ole Miss at Titan stadium and Ole Miss started beating them really bad. And one of their fans got up and threw popcorn on the film was like, this is awful. Uh, Cause you just thought, you know, a lot of Vandy fans thought they had arrived. And I was like, I don't see how this is going to work with Mason. I have a lot more faith in Clark Lee to get that thing in the right direction. Yeah. I just don't know that it's going to happen this year. Yeah, the, the Derek Mason era, um, that's going to be an interesting chapter. <laughs> he kept beating Tennessee and getting the bowls. And you were and, like, hey, he's probably fired. But and, then he went, and, and he wasn't afraid to dance when he picked up a win. <laughs> you know, he, he nobody could showboat a, a three and nine season better, man. He would. He, he wasn't afraid to just let you know when he won a game, man. Um, a good guy. He's going to do good things, I think, at Auburn as coordinator it's tough to win at Vandy. Um, we'll see if, if Clark Lee seems like a logical hire. We'll see if he's able to do it. At least Vandy. Now we know the wheels are in motion for facility upgrades. That fan base deserves it. So do the student athletes that play at Vanderbilt deserve it. Hopefully that'll happen uh, sooner rather than later. We are later on uh, expiring for this podcast. So I'll have to yeah. get into some other things later on. Also Phil Steele will join us next week as well. Our thanks to Heather Dinich. That's going to do it for us, folks. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, high-quality 
in addition to a high amount of uh, listeners and downloaders each and every time we put one of these together, and we appreciate that. Number 137 is in the books. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan, so long. We'll see you next week.